Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Mile Marker 114. Uh, we're in the van, and uh, it's one of those kind of crazy North Carolina winter days that's like, doesn't seem to know whether it wants to be uh, like nice or challenging. I guess it's both. It's bright and sunny, but there's a cold wind, so we're in the van in the, with the doors closed, kind of soaking up that good old greenhouse effect. And, uh, Methane. Methane. <laughs> and it's not me this time. Oh, it's not me either. Yeah, so you Residual. say. By the way, I'm Gumby. And I'm Teresa. And, uh, yeah, so, mile marker, check in. Uh, this week's kind of crazy. Teresa's uh, feeling under the weather today. I'm, I'm kind of tired at the moment. I just hit like a, uh, a plateau. But we've both been busy with pretty good stuff for the past couple of days. And uh, for the first time... Jesus, I, I can't remember the last time that I had two days of work in a week. So I'm about to have a class to teach tomorrow, Thursday, and a class to teach the day after. And uh, man, like that's uh, that is five and a half hours worth of work a week. I mean, I'm starting to turn into a workaholic. It's too much. It is too much. Yeah, but I'm trying to seize the opportunity, sticking with it as long as I can. Um, but man, I've just kind of become such a hobo that like I resent any schedule, even when it's to my benefit. I just feel it kind of looming on me. But trying to roll with it, I know that I'm actually very fortunate to get to make money in this way, to hang out with kids in the woods and share skills that I want to be working on anyway. So, you know, it's kind of a uh, mental discipline for me of like, all right, you know, take control of this shit. Like, look at the bright side. Like, look at the positive things. Look at the thing, the thoughts that will nourish you. Let them in and don't let those thoughts that just kind of chase you around the table, like, take control. Because I can also go there and start just feeling like, oh, I'm not up for it and all that. And I've let those thoughts win before and that's no fun. Um, but yeah, all right. So, uh, Teresa, what would you like to uh, talk about? How's your week going? Anything off the top of your head that you're uh, ready to share at the moment? I'm trying to build a teepee. Hell yeah, that toilet paper's looking righteous. <laughs> um, also, there are structures similar to the teepee of um, North American fame. There are the lavus, I think is pronounced, of um, people in, uh, I guess, the northern regions of like maybe Norway or something like that. And then there's also a similar shelter to a TP called a, I think it's pronounced chum, but I could be wrong about that. C-H-U-M, um, from people in Siberia. And basically it's a conical structure. I'm sure you're familiar with TP. And I cut down some saplings yesterday and Gumby showed me how to lash them together. And not today, but I'm going to continue to work on that. Uh, probably when we get back from doing all the other work with the classes. Yeah, I've got my uh, focuses that I mentioned in our last episode that I'm trying to work on. So 
I told Teresa, you know, if you're like inspired to work on something that you just might need a little help, like how do you do this knot or like a little manual labor, then I'm happy to help out as long as she's kind of leading the charge, doing the research, has an idea of where she's going, just kind of consider me the muscle. Yeah, because on these challenging days, it sure would be nice to have kind of a wind break, a place that we can uh, just have a fire, nice warm little room. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see this teepee come together because one thing we have a surplus around here, and neither one of us have built a teepee before, um, is a lot of plastic. You know, like we've we run into like raggedy tarps with holes in them and everything, and we're thinking we can just kind of overlap them and let's see what happens. Let's make it work, even if it's got a few holes in it. You know, like if it's raining and we need to be in there, let's just maybe avoid the holes. Put a little pot there, catch it if we need to, and even, if it's windy, like just try to get away from the holes if cold air is coming in. We even found a giant clear plastic sheet, which I'm wondering if that could be incorporated into it too. Yeah, I think that would be pretty awesome. Let in more light. But yeah, just the the possibilities of exploration are really exciting. And what I worked on yesterday was uh, one of my bushcraft chairs. I made this hammock chair. And, um, you know, I mentioned how somebody wanted me to build a primitive shelter. They wanted to pay me for it and that I declined because uh, um, bushcraft things, I feel like, is a relationship. It's kind of hard to just build something. You know, it's not like factory stuff that comes out all cut and pre-measured and everything. I feel like there's a lot of unknowns and like, this is a perfect example. I built this hammock chair and when I first built it, I was really proud of it. It's nice. And I am proud of it. Um, we got a lot of good use out of it, but there was a weakness in the wood and one of the notches I, I carved. And so it would get kind of bendy and we worked with that for a while and it just got to be too much. And I decided to take it apart and recycle the wood and build another kind of style bushcraft chair. That's more sturdy, more like the ones, if you watch alone that you might see on there, they build a lot. Um, but yeah, if I'd sold that to somebody, I mean, I'd feel bad, you know, and they'd probably feel bad about it. Cause like, oh man, I paid for this and now look at it. And I don't know how to do that. Like, I kind of feel like with bushcraft stuff, you know, you really, it's so much better to do it yourself. Cause you're probably going to have to troubleshoot. That's just the nature of wild stuff. It's unpredictable. And, uh, again, getting con- control of that mindset instead of expecting it to be like this chair you bought from the store that's supposed to do this and then you just load all your expectations around it. It's like, all right, cool. I see what went wrong. I think I learned something that I probably won't do that again. And here's another opportunity to try this other idea I had. So I've been working hard since yesterday on my chair while Teresa was cutting stuff for the, the teepee. And, um, that's one of the reasons I'm tired out and, uh, yeah, hopefully like I said, Teresa's been feeling kind of under the weather. Hopefully we're not about to go through like one of those, uh, I don't know, spells where we both get kind of sick. And usually what that looks like for us is we spend a few days just kind of feeling under the weather, but we can still do what we got to do. Um, we've been really lucky that nothing's like really knocked us down and incapacitated us in our almost three years now of living in a van. I'll tell you what, I felt that something was going to happen and with my health because the weather took a really sharp turn for being cold. We had our first snow a couple days ago, um, and we're possibly going to have snow again this weekend. And so I started, um, like putting, putting lotion on my skin. Um, it puts the lotion (laughs) on, uh, actually oil that was, uh, an Ayurvedic formula, but also shea butter. And just because I knew that with cold, windy weather, it can wreak havoc on my body, whether it's constipation, 
whether it's dehydration or a combination of those things. And not to mention that when your body's fighting dehydration from being outside in a windy, cold environment, um, it's going to take away power from your immune system to fight off something that could have otherwise just been a, oh, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to go to sleep. So it's not bad. Um, I sneezed about 20 times in a row this morning when we were in the van, possibly because of pet dander. And now I need to go bathe and wash all that mucus off that Teresa showered me with. But that's pretty much it. Like my nose is runny. So hopefully that'll be it. And uh, I'll just take it easy and keep hydrated, drinking some hot water with lemon, fresh lemon squeezed in it and a pinch of cayenne pepper and some honey on the side. Well, really honey in the glass. Yeah. And uh, uh, another thing that's probably not helping us is we just scored a big um, find in the dumpster, (laughs) which was like full of sweets, like donuts and pies and stuff like that. And usually what I do when I find sweets in the dumpster is uh, I'll take like one or two, you know, just kind of a treat. Whereas if I find something that's like more, you know, actual food, I'll stock up as much as I think we can without it going to waste. Um, but man, this time it was just like, it looks so good that we just kind of stocked up on it. So now we got a van full of pies, like, I mean, like coconut custard and wild blueberry pie and, uh, all these donuts, glazed donuts. I, my, my favorite kind of donut is just plain old glazed. And so it's like the devil is in our van. We have invited the devil in, and he's sitting right there in the driver's seat, which is literally where the the damn suites are when we have it parked out here in our little uh, winter camp place. Um, But yeah, probably eating all that sugar. I mean, you know, we get in for the night and uh, toke up a little bit to relax at the end of the day, put on the music, put on the heat, and uh, then that little pie is like, Gumby, Teresa. I'm just getting my body ready for survival mode. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're going to kill yourself getting yourself ready for survival. Yeah, but at least when I die, I'll be fat. And man, <laughs> Teresa's got the sweet tooth. I usually like don't have much of a problem saying no to sweets, but man, I love me some fucking pie. I've been doing pretty good. I guess for you, I guess. Yeah, for me, I I could be downing like three or four pastries a day, but really it's only like two. Yeah, and speaking of health, um, the other morning we got out of the van... Oh, and no. uh, I was walking over to, you know, our little fire pit, and uh, I forget who saw it first. I think I did. That sounds right. And uh, there's this little um, orange plop on the ground with something in it. And go over there and look at it, and it's like these two great big white worms that look like tapeworms or something. And so... uh you know, that's been on our minds for the last few days. We've been kind of checking our own poop. I mean, not that one of us thought we just kind of, you know, walked over and like, whoop, you know, farted and like pooped and didn't know it or something. <laughs> but just in case. And, uh, you know, could have been Sherlock. And if Sherlock's got something like that, there's a lot of shit. I think I read somewhere like there's 30 different viruses that can pass back and forth between humans and dogs that we share in common and that's not even getting into worms and things like that parasites so if he's got worms and we don't know for sure that came from him because there are cats around um another dog wild animals 
But yeah, that's kind of a, wow, there's just a bunch of huge, gnarly fucking tapeworms right in the middle of our camp. Where did that come from? Yeah. And by bunch, we mean two, and it could have very well been one, but still it was disconcerting because uh, it wasn't spaghetti. <laughs> it was not spaghetti, and I tried so hard to believe it was. <laughs> Uh, it's like, no, I think this could be like some kind of pasta or something, but we hadn't eaten pasta lately. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, hanging out in somebody's like Sherlock's gut. And then I saw the segments and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not familiar with all the kinds of pasta. Maybe yeah, it's there's segmented yeah. fettuccine or something. Yeah. Segmented flat spaghetti. Maybe. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So as Gumby said, we've been checking our poop. I've been checking Sherlock, our dog's poop, which is always fun because I love poop. And, uh, she really does. She uh, stops when we're walking to watch Sherlock poop like it's a television program. That was even, just normally. Yeah, just that's before we yeah, found. Those that's before the worms, stuff. and yeah. now she has an excuse to run right over there with a couple of sticks and start like uh, picking it apart. And she always calls me over to look at it, and I I feel like I could kind of get the second hand version, <laughs> but I don't need the front row seat. And every day you do it, you say, uh, "Ew, this smells like poop." I regret that I'm going to predict tomorrow it's still going to smell like poop. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to have Gumby Domus is in the house. You wait and see. I regret not playing with Sherlock's poop sooner so that I could have a baseline for what's normal, if he was ever normal, which he's kind of not normal. But, yeah, so um, hopefully it's not Sherlock. But even if it isn't, we have to watch what he scrounges because he does enjoy the occasional cat poop. And if it is him, you know, I've, I've heard from a herbalist I studied with that, like, most of us do have, like, a couple of big worms that live in our guts. Like, we think of worms, but what we're talking about is the stuff that makes itself known to us. But there's plenty of, like, large worms that live in many of our guts that are just hanging out there that we never see. Um, so it could be that we do have worms, but, you know, then the next question is, is it a big deal? Is it just, you know, like uh, something we live with? Or is it like, all right, you know, I'm like scraping my ass across the ground, leaving a giant Hershey streak <laughs> on the lawn or, you know. If I... you start scooting your butt on the yard, you're going to have to go sleep in the gazebo, not yeah. in the van. If I like, you know, take a spoonful of food and like something jumps out of my mouth and like snatches yeah. it before I put it in my mouth, that's when I'm, when I get worried. We forgot to dangle the meat in front of your face and see if anything jumped out. Why my face? You probably once got the damn worms. I haven't seen anything <laughs> yet. Do you pick through your own poop like you pick through Sherlock's poop? Yes, of course. Well, I don't. I just kind of look down at it and like, all right, well, I don't see Well, you told no- me that you have to like, it encases things. Yeah, but I knew you'd like to do that. Yeah. Uh, I also enjoy owl pellets. They're so much fun. I enjoy owl pellets. They they don't have like fecal matter in them. That's well, they're different. less smelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> moving along. Well, I just wanted to uh, include, you know, I am not a doctor. Um, however, the following items are food. So if you ever had concerns like we're talking about, and this is not for a dog, um, although there may be some crossover, but the the following three things came up that are available in most places. So garlic, um, again, not for a dog. I'm not saying anything for a dog, but if you want to include some fresh garlic in your diet, I'm half Italian, so I mean, it kind of just comes natural to me. Um, papaya, which is really enjoyable. I think the medicine 
is in the seeds of it, but uh, you'll have to look that information up for yourself. And um, pumpkin seeds supposedly also help. Like, I'm not sure if they're the, like, raw pepita pumpkin seeds that you find, or I don't know what the properties are that um, that work best. Like, do you just get a gourd and eat the seeds directly from the gourd, or can you eat them if they're dried? I don't know. Um, but yeah, those are three things that are definitely food. You can eat them, and they may help in the case of a worm infestation. And before we leave the topic of survival skills... Huh? Worms. Well, I was talking about survival skills before the worms. Mm-hmm. Have we left the topic of worms? Is there anything else to say? No, that's all I got. Have you heard that joke about that guy that, like, he uh, got married and he took his new bride out on a honeymoon, like, down by the lake? And so he comes back and his friends are asking how it was. And he's like, well, it's not so good. And uh, um, they're asking, well, what's wrong? And he said, well... Turns out she's got gonorrhea. And they're like, oh, damn. Wow, that's rough. And he said, yeah. And like, I just wrapped my mind around that. And then I found out she's got pyrrhea. And uh, they're like, damn, wow. And he's like, man, we went to the drugstore. I got some medicine for her. I was starting to clear up. And damn, she didn't get diarrhea. (laughs) And they're like, wow, that sounds like the worst honeymoon ever. And he's like, well, it's not all bad. Because the bright side is, she's also got worms, and you know how I like to fish. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Yeah. Oldie but a goodie. That's gross. (laughs) So, uh, for survival skills, one of the things I like to use these mile markers for is to kind of... Yeah. I didn't even have to, like, name Segway. Segway here to survival skills. Turn the page at the sound of the chime. Remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I like to use these podcasts partly to kind of hold me to task for these survival skills. Because if I'm not paying attention to my progress or survival skills, I can imagine I'm moving at a different pace than I actually am or doing things that I'm actually not. But if I'm kind of checking in with myself, you know, every week about what I've done, it uh, gives me a good um, chance to kind of, I don't know, I guess be honest with myself. So, you know, my two things that I mentioned that I'm working on, focusing on primarily this month have been drop spindle and roadkill. Roadkill's getting a really slow start. We have actually not been out on the road since um, when we recorded the last podcast. Uh, we were on our way here and we've been here ever since. So uh, tricky thing, you know, the timing, because like you got to see the roadkill. It's got to be in a place that you can stop and get it. And you got to be on your way someplace that it's not just going to be sitting in the van that you can actually process it. <laughs> so in other words, like I can't necessarily just be like going into class. Uh, maybe I can if I get a good, you know, it's not in bad shape and get a plastic bag. But, you know, there's all that to take into account. So the only progress I've really made on roadkill is watching a couple videos about working with bone tools. And I've started a bone bucket. And all I have in there right now is a couple of uh, deer antlers that Teresa found underneath a hunting stand that have been largely eaten by mice. And uh, I threw them in there thinking maybe they're good for something. And so far, the only thing I've seen that possibly they could be good for is maybe one of the tines I can use for flint napping as a pressure flaker. And uh, the rest of it, maybe antler buttons. Hmm. So nothing that exciting, but any week that I can say that I've made any progress, I mean, I'm not going to be hard on myself. I, I 
keep telling Teresa, you know, like it's easy to discourage yourself by thinking you're supposed to be doing something you're not. But if you make any progress, I think that's something to celebrate. You're on the right path, going in the right direction. That's good. And as far as my drop spindle, I made a primitive one with just a rock and uh, a stick that I cut and a little notch I cut into it. So I've been using, um, instead of an upcycled drop spindle, which I'll go through this quick. If you don't know what a drop spindle is, it's going to be meaningless to you. But an upcycled drop spindle, you can just use a pencil, a paper clip, and a, like a Pringles chip lid. And basically you spin it. And uh, that's what I've been using you know, when I talk about drop spindle until now. But this week I made one with a stick of privet and uh, lashed a rock to it and put a little notch in it. And much to my joy, that has uh, worked. So, Did you use a stick of privet? I used a stick of privet, Governor. <laughs> that just sounded so strange. <laughs> what? A stick of privet? Yeah. A stick of privet in your privet? <laughs> oh, I do like the English accent, though, don't you very much, Walker? Ooh. <laughs> and, yeah, that's all I had to say about uh, primitive skills. Do you have any thoughts or anything before we uh, move on with another topic? Um, well, okay, then. So yeah, we're going to... I don't know. Hmm. Okay, I guess I'll include this here as a survival skill while you have access to the internet. <laughs> and this is kind of for um, some of our listeners who may have... Um, tried to meditate and or like just kind of like Gumby says sit down and shut up and try to like have some quiet time. Gumby says sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. Yes and uh, and maybe you've not had success in doing that or maybe you just feel like you can't do it and it just occurred to me the other day that I used to use music when I was teaching yoga classes, um, that I think it was specifically created to help change the, the brain waves, like the different, um, frequencies of brain waves so that you moved into a more relaxed state or a more focused state. And so, um, maybe if you're listening to this and you haven't quite like, you haven't felt like you've gotten anywhere with meditating, I still encourage you to try meditating, but in a time where uh, you might be wanting to listen to some music or have some music in the background, look up um, either Raga, R-A-G-A, or R-A-A-G. It's like Indian classical music that's for different times of the day. And that can be really cool. You can, um, a couple years ago, you used to be able to stream something for free on Pandora. Um, and you could type in like Rag, R-A-A-G, in a it would come up and you could just listen to it for free. Um, or if you want any suggestions for music, you can like contact us on our website or on the escaping society, Facebook page. And I can, uh, give you some suggestions of music, but yeah, that just occurred to me the other day. Uh, cause we've been talking a lot about like different brain waves, uh, and how it relates to like hypnosis and stuff like that. So try it out. Alternatively, alternatively, you could listen to our podcast while you meditate. Um, I wonder especially, what kind of brainwaves that throws people especially into. Especially formulated to make you go, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> we will try to talk in calm and reassuring and steady voices to put you into a deep beta state 
receptive for healing and other things. Um, yeah, I thought I had something else to say, but oh yeah, when I meditate, I uh, I like to just follow my breath. I'm not. I've tried those relaxation technique things. Like I did. I guess I yeah. When I was younger, I, I did the guided meditation like on tape, and sometimes that would have music, and I enjoyed them. But yeah. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily saying to sit down and try to meditate to the music, but like if you're just wanting to listen to something anyway, and maybe you feel like, oh, I'd like to try and relax or maybe focus my mind, which are actually, I think, two different, um, whatever, frequencies of brainwaves. One is to like focus and one is to relax. Um, you could try checking out the, uh, the music option. Hmm. And then maybe, you know, if you feel a benefit from that, you might be more inclined to try meditation again for five minutes, let's say. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really aware that like, um, dealing with my mind is something that's important to me. Um, I meditate twice a day, um, like 20 minutes in the morning and just five minutes in the evening. But both of my parents now have lost their minds. My mom has had a stroke. And so she half the time doesn't like, she's just not with it. She mumbles. She talks when nobody's there. Um, you know, she'll be asking for her mother who's been dead for a long time. And my dad went just full on crazy. Like it wasn't a stroke related. It was just, he lost all touch with the reality. It was absolutely insane. My dad, um, God, when he got to the worst of his mental illness, he thought I was his brother. He thought my mom was a nurse. He thought he was in some kind of home. Um, he actually was eating lint out of his bed and calling them rabbit eggs. Um, he'd see Indians in his curtains. Uh, it was just completely out of touch with reality. And then when he got put in the hospital, um, he escaped from the hospital. He thought he was a, an agent that was being at one point uh, on the steps of London and then on the moon, um, just complete break with reality. So as kind of funny as these stories are in a way, you know, I, I often laugh at them. Um, they can be kind of sobering too, cause I'm mid forties, you know, I'm getting to that age where like this stuff started really messing with my dad and, uh, and just looking at both parents and like, wow, your, your cheese really can slip off that cracker. Um, mental health is important. And knowing, you know, when you look at your parents, you're kind of seeing a likely path in front of you. You're not necessarily doomed to that path, <laughs> but you know that there's a trajectory, there's momentum that way. What your parents have done, there's a good chance you could fall into that. And so if both of the, your parents have lost touch with reality, um, that's something I try to be aware of, um, especially, you know, now with all the stuff going on. Um, because one of the things my dad got diagnosed with was paranoia. And, you know, of course we studied the CIA and all the stuff they've done and, you know, the government and, uh, we're studying like hypnosis, like how that works and how that might be, uh, used. We've read Edward Bernays propaganda. I mean, I've just come across so much information that heightens my paranoia, that makes me distrustful. And on one hand, I feel like that is appropriate. These are, in fact, it's more appropriate than the person who is still trustful, who's like, listen to the scientist, listen to the politicians. Oh, I love this president. No. If you start looking at the facts, there's a lot of really 
bad things that all these people are into, these governments. They, they purposely try to manipulate us. So, but it's hard to navigate that line because you don't want to trust things that have are not worthy of your trust. They have no business with your trust and allegiance. Um, they're not trustworthy. But at the same time, man, if you slide too far off the other way, and if you're one of those people who are prone to it like I am, you know, you can really get into some webs. Like I was, we were watching alone, as we've mentioned, and, you know, I'm watching these people out there by themselves and everything, and I'm realizing, like, I might, if I was out there by myself, I might start having some thoughts of, like, wow, what if everybody's quit? What if this is some kind of CIA fucking experiment? Like, yeah. I would have those thoughts. You know, I, I have thoughts like that cross my mind already about stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I know some of the things the CIA is capable of. And, you know, like I uh, I just kind of have to chalk it up to like, well, it's not important. I got to focus on what I got to focus on. And like we mentioned on the last episode, uh, rewilding. That's what I what I bring it back to. That's my touchstone to reality. Get outside. Get away from all that noise. Get outside. Um, the indoors, especially if you've got mental illness, man, that can become a trap. That's what happened to my dad. He locked himself in his room. Like he just turned it into his little chamber of horrors in there. And, uh, so get outside, man, stay outside as much as you can. That's going to help contemplation, explore that mind. Keep looking at your thoughts. Look at your thoughts objectively as the observer. I practice that. That matters to me, man. I got to stay strong with that. That's one of my touchstones to reality. Whatever thoughts I have, if I start going kind of off on a crazy tangent, I want to have that tool sharp and ready and familiar that I can sit down and like follow my breath and let that shit go and then look at it fresh and skills, skills that allow me to stay outside longer. Those are my touchstones to reality. But just like that movie uh, Inception, you know how they all had the little object Oh, yeah. That they would use, that they only they touched so they were familiar with, and that was their touchstone to reality so they could tell if they were dreaming or not. I feel like in these times, especially when we know that there's so much manipulation, corruption, government, technology, simulation, my God. I mean, what a terrifying time that we're moving into a time that reality is becoming indistinguishable from virtual reality. The implications of that are terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. That is a form of insanity. And I think it's going to prove itself as a form of insanity sooner rather than later. I find the whole thing just terrifying. So it is so important that you've got something that ties you back to the real world. This dirty, fresh, bright, cloudy, rainy, that world. Um, Whatever that is. So there's just some reflections I had during the week, you know, because going in there trying to talk to my mom and... You know, she's got good days and bad days, and I'm just like, man, I got to watch that. I have got to watch that. And I guess for me, Teresa, unless you have something else you want to talk about next, what that's kind of segue for is uh, something you brought up this week when you were talking about, uh, or actually, um, we watched that great video on hypnosis. Do you want to talk about that next? Let me consult my notes here. Okay. All right, so we have not been listening to our regular um, lineup of podcasts that we listen to, except we started listening back to them yesterday. So there were quite a few weeks of just kind of 
radio silence for us. I, in radio silence, I, I mean like bird song and the wind and just, you know, any random sounds outside. Yeah, we turned off all media. We usually listen to podcasts like anytime we're still around the fire, there's a podcast playing. But that's what she's referring to is like nothing like that. Well, and we didn't, I, I will say, I didn't turn off all media because I still have my little device and we have the hotspot from the library. Well, yeah, technically that's true. I was still getting on Facebook. And I'm addicted to, and it's a light addiction, I'm addicted to looking at the news headlines because you can easily scroll what Google spoon feeds you um, in the news feed and just get a general sense of like, oh, yeah, the world's still pretty much the same. But for some reason, it's just so interesting to me. And it's also interesting because um, sometimes when you click on the article, you can actually read it without having to subscribe to something or pay. And what I noticed the other day was, and maybe it was it was like a slow news day or maybe somebody like an editor somewhere was like, hold up, maybe we need to pump the brakes on some stuff here. Because it seemed like all of a sudden the tone in the articles, the, the way in which they were writing about the topics of COVID or um, certain key figures and all of the, the news about COVID, it seemed to have started to soften. And even opinion pieces, editorials that generally in the, the publications that they come from generally tend to be um, more on the, the people who are vaccinated. And um, in other words, it's coming from the perspective of like they're vaccinated and they're like so weary of people being, you know, unvaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. But it seemed even like the tone of those articles has changed just just slightly. And I think it's maybe because of a couple things. I think people have definitely become weary of all of this. I mean, it's two years in. Um, all of this being the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've become weary of just like all of the back and forth, up and down. And I also think it's important... Um, to give a nod to Omicron because... Like Omicron. Yeah, now I I looked today and it seems like the tone has changed a little bit back towards the like, oh my God Uh um, feeling. But Omicron, it seems like a lot more people are maybe getting this variant or whatever it is. And um, even though I guess there was a death from it or maybe, you know, like a handful of deaths in the world from it, it still seems to be more mild. Um, and as of yet, the scientists haven't, you know, decided what they're going to scare us with um, for this particular variant. But it seems people are just like, you know, if you haven't gotten Omicron, um, probably somebody you know has gotten it. And so we're kind of past the point of being ashamed of getting covid or like having some sort of guilt, like what did I do? What where did I go wrong? I socially distanced. I wore you know four two ply masks and at one time, and it just kind of gave me hope a little bit that maybe even though people have I think gone a little too far with all of this stuff, I think maybe maybe someone 
is pumping the brake a little bit on it. And I'm not, I, I don't have any proof except like I said the other day, um, just like I, I generally do, I look at the news and just the other day I kind of noticed this little trend of different articles kind of easing off. Even an article about Robert Malone who, oh, people love to hate on some Robert Malone. I never met the guy. I don't have anything particularly like, you know, that he did to me or anything like that. Um, but this one article from The Atlantic. Hey, just in case, like real quick, in case somebody's somehow not familiar with Robert Malone, can oh, yeah. you just like like super quick, like explain who he is? Dr. Dr. Robert Malone, um, he supposedly, allegedly, um, for one of his theses, theses back in like the 80s, like the late 80s, he like wrote this paper on using... MRNA and DNA to just um, to deliver uh, some sort of medicine into cells. All right, and that's that was from an article from the Atlantic. Um, he then flash forward to the pandemic of 2020 and et cetera, et cetera, 2021 now 2022. Um, Dr. Robert Malone has been outspoken about how he feels that these mRNA vaccines are not what they seem to be. And, um, he, but he has also made sure that when he is represented online, that he is known as the inventor of the mRNA vaccines. Now, even though I personally don't care, um, but it seems like he headed up a lot of research or he, he was the first person on a lot of papers that were published on this. And, um, I know I'm talking a lot, but this article from the Atlantic, it kind of was even like a, a soft tone with him. It didn't just jump down, you know, the reader's throats like, oh, Robert Malone, he's this liar and he's evil. And, you know, he's, he's saying that he's the inventor when clearly there was a, a huge team of hundreds of people that were working. It's like, okay, okay. All right. Pump the brakes. Maybe this guy. And I feel like the most important thing anybody who's not familiar with Robert Malone needs to know about Robert Malone is he is coming out criticizing the vaccine. Um, so, that's one of the things that makes him different is he's a very credible, high-ranking scientist who is coming out loudly uh, critical of how the pandemic is being handled, uh, what the vaccination is, whether it works, what it's good for. And so he's being censored right and left. And so that's what Teresa's talking about is, a, is a, there seems to be a softening of how hard he's being censored, right? Well, not even so much about how much he's being censored, but just this article, like I was saying, it was kind of not just painting him as an evil person. It was kind of giving a lot more background into maybe why he thinks what he thinks about why he's the inventor of this. And maybe, like, if you can be human for a moment and stop, like, stop seeing things only binary, you know, in black and white, maybe you can start to see where this guy is coming from. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But my point was that I felt like there might be a break in the storm here. Like maybe it's just letting up. And I hope, I'm really hoping that it's not just the storm taking a deep breath to like blow us all down. 
Yeah, my own um, like opinion on it. I've kind of seen some signs myself that I thought were like, huh, I wonder if this pandemic is starting to uh, at least this phase of it or whatever come to a close. I've seen some things that I felt were a, a sort of softening instead of the hard, militant, authoritative stance that we've seen in the past. Um, and I hope, I hope that's right. But a couple of thoughts I have on that is, if that's so, if we're about to see um, sort of a pulling back from these hard lines that have been drawn uh, around vaccine mandates and stuff, why would that be? And I wonder if maybe... Well, I've never thought this whole thing was about the pandemic or the virus or anything like that to begin with. Even when it first came out, I didn't th- I don't think anything that's happened is about the virus or even selling us these vaccines or even getting this RNA crap into us. I don't think it's really about all that. Um, so I wonder if this was promoted as sort of a strategy, a plan to advance other things, like one of the things I think is one of the biggest candidates of what a, a agenda like that might be, is the transhumanist agenda. Um, that was one of the most eye-opening things that I've studied since we've been doing this podcast, is how long this has been going, the people behind it, and some of the aims that have been right here in front of us all along, in our movies, um, in the background, that we just, I don't think most of us pay much attention to. But some of these things are primary, like uh, plugging us into machines, eventually transcending the human animal. Um, And what happened during the pandemic? Zoom. We all like really took a huge leap into technology that uh, I don't think could have been accomplished without the pandemic. If they just sold us these things, I think they would have definitely had an effect. But this, this force, this not having an alternative, like if you want your kids to be educated, you hate Trump, don't you? You don't want to be one of those rednecks that just follows Trump because they're the ones that are like fighting this stuff. So you believe in science. So why don't you get on board with science? You know, Zoom calls, Zoom this, even the, the podcasts we listen to that are like anti-establishment and questioning this stuff, even they have surrendered completely to Zoom. Everything's gotten on the computer. It's in the hands of the computers. Um, so what if all this scare, you know, this hardline militant stuff, they never planned on sticking us in boxcars or concentration camps, but they certainly wanted us to see the threat. And wouldn't it be a beautiful tactic, and I feel like there's precedent for this, to scare us like, oh my God, the pendulum's going to swing so far this way, but then before it really gets there, to swing back, but not all the way, mm-hmm. not all the way back where you were before but to where they always wanted to take us. So think about it. What if all this talk about vaccine mandates, what if you discover in the next few months, oh, I can have a job if I don't get vaccinated. What? I can can cross state lines? No concentration camps? No (laughs) boxcars? Wow, freedom. Yeah, like freedom. Who isn't, including us, when we first started thinking about this, if this does in fact pan out that this is happening, feel a swell of relief? Yeah. So suddenly something we might have opposed before, if it's artfully done, now we feel a big wave of relief because we had the scare, the fright, the fear that it was about to go to an extreme place and then it backs off. And now we wind up right where they had planned on taking us the whole time. That seems like a pretty plausible tactic to me. So I that crosses my mind whether that's going on. And again, I don't even know if uh, this is happening and um, if it is, all 
you know, one of the things that Teresa and I were talking about and we were walking and, and discussing this is uh, all the things, all the big threats, all the things that if you oppose civilization, you're anti-civ, uh, you're a primitivist, you're thinking of hitting the road, getting out there on the land, you don't want to be part of, part of society, you want to escape society, all those things are still in place. Many of them are worse, like the technology, the immersion in technology. So I think it's important if this does play out, that they pull back, you feel that flood of relief, not to let that make you passive. Don't go back to sleep. I think that's what it's designed to do. And I know what you want to say, and I'll give you a chance to say that. Um, <laughs> Don't ruin it. I'm not. And um, yeah, I think one of the things that's important, what, what the good news is for someone like me and Teresa, who are like, man, we got to get ready. Like society's about to become something that we cannot be a part of. It's not just something that we choose to resist. It might be something that we can't exist in anymore. Um, so, you know, that was a big motivator, a big push for our survival skills. If there's good news in this, it is that we've got more time. And in that time, keep pushing. You've got more time to use the resources of society to get ready for what's coming next, to get ready for getting out of it. Because all the big, bad, broad strokes are still there, even if it doesn't lead to vaccine, boxcars, etc. Um, YouTube, for instance, like you mentioned, Teresa, YouTube is a wonderful resource. You can watch videos, but don't just watch videos. Go do it several times, whatever the skill, go do it. You do not know something unless you do it many times where it's familiar, where you don't need the video, where it feels like something you do every day. That's when you know something. If you're just vegging out there and watching survival videos, you haven't learned shit. You're no more ready for something than the guy who didn't watch the videos. I've seen it over and over. If you don't learn with your hands, you've learned nothing. Um, so hopefully, maybe things are going to go a little bit slower than I, I thought a few months back. And uh, that just means we have more time to prepare. And I just want to say this brilliant piece of advice to put a visual image into your brain to go along with this conversation. This is a wake-up call. This is not the time to hit the snooze button. So remember, don't hit the snooze button. This is a wake-up call. A wake-up call for you to get ready. Yeah. Don't go back to sleep. And, uh, you know, I just talked about the danger of paranoia. <laughs> so not to sow paranoia, but also don't forget about where your neighbors stood on this. If you had neighbors, if you had people around you that were in support of vaccine mandates, were support of people losing their jobs, not being able to feed their family unless this was forced upon them. I'm not saying hold a grudge. I'm not saying try to make their lives worse, but I am saying don't forget that. There's a certain kind of person that gives themselves to that kind of stuff, and it's important to remember. People in this time of crisis, people will show you who they are in times of crisis. The people that came forward that stood up for themselves and other people, even the people who got vaccines and stood up for your choice to choose. These are the people that have showed them showed you something about themselves that you can trust, at least somewhat. But those other people, those people that are getting behind like, oh yeah, I got no problem with that. I think everybody should be forced to do it. I've, yeah, you remember that. You remember that. Because that kind of behavior will come again under crisis. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, Gumby, I can't speak for you, but I don't think you're mentioning this for like vengeance purposes. No, absolutely not. But vengeance. I want to come right out and say, I'm not mentioning for vengeance because that's stupid. That yeah. will come and bite you in the ass. There's no good to come of vengeance. Right. I'm talking about awareness. Exactly. Because, you know, I have certain family members who are 
adamant about all of the things that are going on in the news because I can literally predict how and what they are going to say if I say something or they're going to start an argument because it's all the same shit. And I don't know, maybe you're listening to us and you think the same thing. Um, I mean, it even sounds like they're talking in unison sometimes. It's eerie how much like you can be around a certain kind of person and just say like a word, like a trigger word, like Trump. Yeah. And my God, they'll say the exact same shit that comes out of their mouth. I mean, like phrased exactly the same. Um, it's, it's so true. And I think the important thing about that is to just know that it might not even be that person's fault. They're just wired that way and they don't know it. And because, you know, I'd hate to just think of my family members as like, I can't trust you because you're a bad person. It's not that. It's just I might not be able to trust them with certain things because they are so suggestive. See, this is the where I struggle with why I say I got to like be careful of paranoia because I've come to believe that there are very few people I can trust. And even the people I can trust, trust is not an easy word. Like, what do you mean by trust? For instance, you can trust this person to always like have your back, but maybe they got a big mouth. You can't trust them to keep a secret. Um, you can trust this person to like, uh, I don't know, maybe keep a secret, you know, the opposite, but they can keep a secret, but they're not going to stand and fight with you shoulder to shoulder. So there's different kinds of trust. Exactly. And yeah, it's tricky when you navigate those things with people. Cause, uh, you know, I know where you're coming from. I'm not, I don't want people to like resent their family members, but man, I'm talking about those people that kind of threw you under the bus that were kind of saying you deserve this. If you don't get a vaccine, you deserve to starve and everything. If you don't think like that, that, um, and I don't know, I guess all I got to say is that's something to be aware of because that's kind of a hard line themselves. Right. Yeah. And I was, um, I was going to start talking about that video that you mentioned briefly earlier. Yeah. And yeah, as you get into hypnosis, I guess that's another thought I have on that is these people, it's not a matter of like resenting them. It is like we're all under the sway of some very powerful propaganda techniques. And uh, I guess that's another way to look at it. Maybe it's a way that kind of like diffuses the resentment a little bit. Some of us are just wired that we're more susceptible to these propaganda techniques. Like I think I'm pretty susceptible, suggestible, I don't know what the word is, receptive to suggestion. Oh, I changed some major beliefs, even this year. I mean, every year I have some fundamental major beliefs, not my deepest beliefs. They kind of stay the same, but some pretty big beliefs um, about things like, I don't know, big concepts like capitalism, socialism, uh, Democrat, Republican, things like that, that I realize I've been under the sway of propaganda and the things I was saying could have like done some damage. Um, things I say now could be doing damage, but I feel like we got to speak out, you know, we got to try to pursue the truth and just recognize like sometimes we're going to be wrong. And when we see that we're wrong, try to be flexible and change. But yeah, that's kind of where they're at too, these people. So I feel like I'd be careful of people that get under the sway of that kind of propaganda, but I'd also try not to resent them because you can bet your ass you are or have been under the sway of propaganda yourself. It's not good guys and bad guys. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to back this up just a tiny little bit to last Girl, week. back that thing up. I'm back.
backing it up, but I'm going to tell you what, my feet stink right now, and I am barely able to be in this van with my feet stinking this bad. Is that what that is? It is. It is. Damn. I know, and listen, my feet don't normally stink. It's these socks. I swear to God, I had to change my socks the other day because I got one of them wet in the rain, and these are the worst. Okay, I'm going to talk shit about. Someone got her socks wet. In the rain. <laughs> These are the world's softest socks. And I got them secondhand from a friend. And I'm not blaming her. But something in this material. Stanky. <laughs> and uh, it's just festered with my hobo feet and shoes today and yesterday. And it, it's just not, it's not pleasant. But I'm going to back this up to last week when we recorded. Because back then, my feet weren't stinking. <laughs> so... We call those the good old days. That's our going back in time sound. No, I got I got that. I felt that. Yeah. Um, we talked about a post that was on the Escaping Society face Facebook page that got us some sort of punishment. So I questioned it on my personal Facebook page. And the post was something about if I had gotten three smallpox vaccines and I still got in nine months or something and I still got smallpox I'd have some questions that was the post if I did something I would have questions that's the version so if you are um feeling averse to discussing the v word not vagina um is there another one yeah so if I blank I would have some questions. We're talking about vagina, aren't we? Yes. Um, That post, Facebook didn't like it. For whatever reason, they, like, you know, slapped us on the wrist or something. And so I, on my own Facebook page, I questioned, like I said, all right, explain to me how this post is not okay to be on Facebook. And I got a few likes. Um, I actually got some likes from people that I didn't necessarily think would like that post. (laughs) Because I phrased it like, you know, let's just for a moment pretend we're aliens from another planet and we came down to Earth. And somebody asked us for whatever reason. They like held up the smartphone to the alien and they were like, do you think this, this post is good or bad? I think the alien would be like, uh, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. So I guess, you know, good. But I had a certain friend whom I respect very much send me a private email. Now, when I saw that he had sent me an email with a subject line Facebook post, I was like, oh, here we go. And sure enough, he brought out all the arguments about like misinformation for the COVID vaccine and like how people that are, um, you know, basically idiots, they're not getting vaccinated because of all this misinformation on places like Facebook. And that's why my post, well, the Escaping Society's Facebook page post was not allowed, was because it was misinformation that's misguiding people from getting the vaccine. Because, obviously, the more people that don't get a vaccine, the more people clog our hospital system. Um, 
from, you know, well-intending people that drive their cars all over the place and maybe get in accidents or like the well-intending people that eat too much food and are fat and they have all sorts of um, conditions for the, the hospital staff to take care of. So I didn't write back to him because I, I kind of, for one, I was busy. And two, I don't even necessarily think I could say anything to this person um, of any, to me, for my personal opinion, of any value because he is so entrenched in his message. He doesn't even see that it doesn't make sense. And can I say how much I hate that argument? <laughs> um, I despise that argument about clogging the hospitals because uh, last time I checked... I think I'm right about this, but I used to think that hospitals were for the sick. What? The sick, sick people. So these people are telling me I've spent my whole life, every product I've bought, they fucking took a tax out. They took a part of my money, added it to the, the price of that product for tax. They tried to tax me for my dog. They've taxed me for every vehicle I've owned. Every year. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and every bit of gas I've had to put in that vehicle to keep that damn vehicle running. <laughs> and then when I go to work, they've taken some of my pay. They don't ask me what I want to contribute to. They take it. Taxes. Preach it, brother. So I've been paying these fucking taxes my whole life only. And there was no caveat. The hospital was there for me, just like the library and the fucking roads my taxes helped pay for. There was no, you can come to the hospital if you take vitamins A, D, and C, because we actually think that'll help you live longer. You're safer. Uh, there's no, you, we'll sew you up if you, how many carrots have you had this week? I'm sorry, that does not meet the quota of carrots. Your body needs more iron than that. Um, if you're not going to take care of yourself, we're not going to take care of you either. That would kind of actually be a good way to get people to like. Eat well, that would healthier. be a that would be better <laughs> than in fact what they're talking about, which is to uh, not let people go in the hospital or to sign a waiver if you're not going to get a vaccine that you will not seek medical treatment or any of this other garbage. Um, how do these people not see how arbitrary that line is? Shall we have like a new uh, vetting process for the hospital where the people to decide whether whatever you're coming in there to get treatment for you deserve? Is that what we're talking about? What? You you fell off a ladder and uh, onto a wagon that had glass in it? Um, I'm sorry, sir. I think you deserve that. Um, we can't <laughs> accept you in this hospital. Um, oh, you actually think your body's immune system is you're probably better off with that considering all the numbers and odds and studies than getting this uh, new vaccine that seems to be largely unnecessary for a large part of the population. Um, no, that's too irresponsible, sir. We we can't treat you. You're, you're putting other people at risk. Um, it's better you don't reproduce, by the way. And if you already have, please go home and kill your children. Mm. Yeah. Or let COVID do it for them. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I had to look up to make sure that hospitals did receive tax money. And while many, if not like the vast majority of hospitals are actually private hospitals, there are hospitals that of course accept federal subsidies and maybe like state and local subsidies as well to care for the poor. So 
yes, your tax dollars do, in fact, go to hospitals. Well, even if it's a private hospital, I would uh, rescind, of course, my tax argument, but the rest of it stands. Yeah. Like, isn't that discrimination? Yeah. Do hospitals get to decide who they treat or not? Yes. Oh, actually, you're oh <laughs> black guy? No, you're actually more prone to heart disease. So, uh, yeah, we don't think you're a, a good investment. Mm. I mean, where's the line? Right. Vetting... You know, any kind of discrimination is what the not what the fuck a hospital's for. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting argument in the libertarian camp. You know, free capitalism and everything. Like, well, would a private establishment get to? I guess it would. It'd be allowed. It would be up to the people. Or if you think this is a bad thing, then you don't go there and the yeah. business snatch. But anyway. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I what got they're trying, that's what the people are trying to pass bills about. But anyway, I'm interested in this hypnosis, if that's where you're... Yeah, well, I just I just wanted to finish that up and say, like, as far as our Facebook post went, it actually didn't get taken down. Did it get taken down? I... Our page is still up and active, and you can post on it. Yeah, I don't recall. I don't know what this <laughs> so, threat was about. So basically, what Gumby has figured from the um, message from Facebook was, is not that they were taking it down because it was misinformation. It's just not going to appear in the top of people's news feeds. <laughs> and yet, we have a friend that just got kicked off of Facebook, and we all know people who are actively getting kicked off of Facebook. So I have a theory. I think there is some kind of algorithm that separates, that has already profiled you, which, duh, but separates you into different categories. And one category is people who they believe, like, they already have an address for, they can already track you, they don't need Facebook to track you, and they think that you will want to be on Facebook. You will be, like, the reprimand will have some effect. So those people get kicked off of Facebook. They get demonetized, things like that. I think we fall in a category of this is our best way to track these people. They're active Facebook users, so don't be so quick to kick them off. And um, also, I think they realize it wouldn't hurt us much. If I got kicked <laughs> off of Facebook, you know, I'd have a little, uh, I don't know, a little weirdness because uh, here's a routine that like, all right, now I don't get on Facebook anymore. But I'd be all right. I'd be fine. You know, and I got to come clean um, about that Facebook page because I actually inherited it from someone else. Um, and we renamed it escaping society. It was actually at first a local permaculture page and damned if like over, I don't know the percentage, but like 400 out of 500 of the original followers are still following our page. So <laughs> I think it must have um, struck a chord with a lot of people or either that they just don't get on Facebook anymore. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But bottom line, Facebook's no big deal. Yeah. Even the podcast, even anchor, that'd be the thing I would miss the most if, uh, they kicked us off of that. But I mean, even that it's like, while it's there, we try to use it. But, yeah. You know, we got our skills. We got those three things rewilding. That helps me. So the um, this video that we've been talking about. Oh, I got a perfect segue for this. So we okay. were talking about Robert Malone, and one oh, of the yeah. things he was in the news for most recently is what was it he said, Teresa? Um, he used the term mass formation psychosis, and I'm I'm pretty sure that other podcasts are talking about this or have talked about it because when we listened to a podcast yesterday for the first time in a long time. That was the one I picked. They were talking about mass formation psychosis. 
So, yeah. Oh, was that the segue? That was the segue. Oh, yeah. that was so smooth, I didn't even see it. That's how I roll. Yeah. They call me Smooth Daddy G. All right, so mass formation psychosis. There was a news article I saw that was like, you know, Robert Malone's making shit up on the Joe Rogan podcast. You know, Joe Rogan, the guy that takes horse dewormer. We just found out that his show gets like 10 times more watches than CNN primetime, <laughs> which is crazy that that many people... Um, I, uh, I'm going to go off on a quick tangent, so don't forget what you're going to say. Okay. I got a friend right now who, uh, they just had a baby, her and her boyfriend. And actually she's written in before. I don't want to name her name, but she lives in Canada and they, their family is split up right now because the United <gasps> States won't let her cross over without a vaccine. He went to the United States and he can't get back to Canada without a vaccine. So their family is oh, being no. divided because of this shit. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I want to, like, for those of you that are really getting hit with this, it's not theoretical. Like, you're already losing your job and shit. Um, let that give you a little encouragement. Ten times more people want to hear Joe Rogan, who has people like Robert Malone. He wants to hear all points of view and all facts. Ten times more people want to listen to him than fucking CNN with their censorship. I think something could be about to shift. But anyway, that was my sidebar. Yeah, so I wanted to know... If mass formation psychosis was a thing, because I've started to realize that just because the news tells you that something's not a thing, you can Google that shit and it comes up. Now, what was interesting was the other day when I looked up mass formation psychosis, a number of things came up that were actually describing it being talked about well before Dr. Malone mentioned it on the Joe Rogan podcast. And now the whole like first two pages of Google results are talking about how Robert Malone said something that was untrue, that it was false, that he made something up, that there's no such thing as mass formation psychosis. Wow. What a turn of events from the other day. All of a sudden, history has basically changed because... Most people don't go to the third page of Google. <laughs> so uh, now I hear that mass formation psychosis is actually a thing. Well, what the hell is the media just all of a sudden scrubbing the history? They're saying that it's it's not a thing. When I was in college, I studied um, psychology and there seems to be a big push lately uh, about, like, making psychology into a pseudoscience instead of a social science. Like, there's really no such thing as social science because science is objective and, and psychology is just too messy. So I figured this mass formation psychosis, whatever the name of it, I think the concept is that people are like hypnotized. There's something going on that's like a mass hypnosis. So I Googled mass hypnosis. And this first thing that came up was this video from Bjorn or Bjorn Andreas Bullhansen. What a name. He's a guy in Norway. Bjorn Bullhansen? Yeah. Man. That's I a name. Oh, and I think he has shirts on his website that are like 
Bjorn to be bad or something. It's man, that's some village pillaging <laughs> shit right there, Bjorn. Yeah, and he was he was like a power weightlifter turned hypnotherapist turned novelist and wow. blogger now. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting mix. And he had a video about mass hypnosis because he said he was a former hypnotherapist, and I believe him. Um, a friend, well, a friend of mine and an acquaintance of Gumby's, uh, she's a hypnotherapist, trained, certified, and all that. And she boiled hypnosis down to two things, trigger and emotional response. Um, she also mentioned oh, to me when she was talking about it, uh, the other things he said, like repetition. Oh, yeah. You know what? I totally messed that up because I'm a little bit high. I meant to say trigger emotional response. That's one trigger an emotional response. And the second one was repetition, but thank you for correcting me. Cause I was a little high. Um, all right. So Bjorn Andreas Bohansson from Norway, you can Google this. Can and, I share what he said in the video? Of course. So, uh, I was just like chilling back there. So I wanted to talk. Okay. Um, I, uh, <laughs> now my brain goes blank. Yeah. I spent so much time thinking about what I was going to say. But three things that he shared in the video, he was talking about hypnosis. And he says some things I don't know whether to agree with or believe or not. For instance, he says it's not like in the movies. You can't get somebody to do something they otherwise wouldn't do. We've heard research that disputes that. But for the sake of uh, learning from what this guy has to share, I'll you know accept it for now. Oh, can I just say? Yeah. It's like... Um, what Bjorn was saying in his video was if you don't already have it in your like moral ethical codes, um, then nobody can get you to do it. Like nobody can make you go against your personal beliefs and values. And I've heard that. I've heard that the trick of hypnosis is to trick somebody into thinking they're in a situation in which they would do what you want them to do with their existing morals and ethics. Mm -hmm. For instance, you might not get some, be able to convince someone to murder someone, but they would kill somebody to protect their kid. Mm. So what if you could hypnotize them to think who you want murdered was actually a threat to your kid? Oh. That kind of stuff. That's crazy. So he said the first part, three main parts of hypnosis. The first part is suggestion. Mm -hmm. And he was talking, and I've heard this before, so um, I believe everything he says because I've heard it from so many other sources from different places. But suggestion is to plant an idea and that ideas work better as symbols than like intellectual constructs. So he said, if I say a cold, you get a picture of a cold. It might be like a quick image of somebody with a cold or something. There's a, a symbol, an image that gets in your head. It doesn't matter how I frame it, whether I say, I don't have a cold. Or do you have a cold? Or, um, man, I don't even want to think about having a cold. It doesn't matter. What your brain picks up on, your, your subconscious brain, is the symbol, the suggestion, a cold. And so it kind of takes hold. And if you frame it as a question, it even goes deeper. It's more effective. Like if I get more of your brain working on it, like, do you have a cold? Do you feel like you have a cold? And um, from what I've heard from um, that woman we mentioned that was a hypnotherapist that I always remembered is if you can get them to like even deeper than do you feel like you have a cold is why do you think you have a cold? Mm, ooh, that's... If you can use why in a oh, sentence, my goodness. that makes a suggestion more powerful. That is, you know what? 
I can see that. Yeah, I Ooh, can I too. Like, I mean, not just see Because it. it gets you to kind of introspect a little bit. Yes. You're not just trying to answer a question. Now you're actually trying to look in your own mind. It opens yeah. more doors, so the suggestion is more effective. And uh, he said the next thing is uh, repetition. So saying it over and over. Now, I bet there's a whole lot of room to play with this. It doesn't have to just be you're looking at somebody and saying it over and over and over. Um, they could just be like different ways of framing it. Just even news articles. Yeah. Like keep in mind, you don't have to su- what you're passing on is the suggestion, a cold. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a cold, a cold, a cold. It's like keep talking about a cold. Keep mentioning it. Even talk about why you're not talking about a cold. It doesn't matter. Anytime the words a cold can come out of your mouth, you're repeating the suggestion. And the third thing is what you said, trigger an emotional response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not that this has anything to do with current events, but <laughs> I think if, we've, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, for instance, said, why won't or aren't you afraid that you might die if you don't get uh, treatment for the cold? I planted the suggestion. I've turned it into a question, which puts it deeper. Um, if I could had brought it up before, you know, there's the repetition. And now the emotional response, because now I brought in death. Either you believe me and you have fear, which is a really powerful emotional response, or you think I'm fucking with you and trying to sell you cold medicine when you don't need it so you get angry. You also have a powerful emotional yes. response. That also gets it in deeper, and it's kind of like the fuel, the thing that makes the others two really strong. And we're more wired for negative emotional responses. Wow. Because survival, from a survival perspective, positive emotional response makes life worth living. It's joyful, but it doesn't save your life. Having a quick negative reaction to something that could hurt you, that saves your life. So you produce offspring. So we're all the survivors of negative thinkers, in a way. I mean, not negative thinkers, but... uh. People that had sharp, negative, powerful emotional responses. They reacted quickly to fear and anger, things like that. Indeed. And I just want to um, give the example that he said in the video, which was similar to what you were saying, like very, very similar. But I thought this was good because it shows exactly what he means, what Bjorn means in the video when he says, like, the suggestion doesn't have to be always positive or negative or taking one side or the other on an issue. It can be whatever the tiny seed part of that is. So he gave this example. If someone or somewhere they keep saying this virus will kill us all versus a statement, I don't think this virus will kill us all. Our subconscious mind doesn't, it doesn't matter about the This virus will or this virus won't. All our mind is doing is picturing the virus killing us all. So both sides of the argument are still going to bring you into this type of a hypnosis. And he talked about how mass hypnosis works a little bit differently in a way. It's like even more powerful in a way because once the suggestion gets out in the population the population will themselves begin to repeat it to each other. So it bounces back and forth between people as they talk about something. Which is the repetition. And if it's not just something like completely irrelevant, if it's been charged some way, you have an emotional reaction to it. And you don't just have a an emotional reaction to it. You have the whole entire group's emotional reaction to it. And it's like a bubble. 
everybody in that bubble is having the same emotional reaction, so it makes it even stronger. And I found that all just riveting interesting, but I think one of the most important things he said to me that I found the most interesting was he says he doesn't know whether it's intentional or not. This actually had not occurred to me. (laughs) I've assumed it's intentional, but I like the way he's being uh, more skeptical, quicker to call it that. And I respect that because, I mean, let's face it, no matter who you are, are, there are so many unknowns around this and something's weird about it. So for him to kind of, you know, take that stance, I really respect that. And um, he says, but it doesn't matter. If a suggestion gets going, and sometimes they can on their own, we are mass hypnotizing each other. He says the, the important thing is knowing this is happening. And he was referring directly to the pandemic. That was even the title of his uh, episode. You know, I was trying to, <laughs> trying to be cute there and like, oh, it's not about. But he, he came right out and said it. And uh, he said, this is happening. This is mass hypnosis. And uh, I thought that was interesting is like, you might not be able to point a finger. Who knows what's going on? But people are under the sway of this. That's why they seem so strange. That's why they seem so completely embedded and unable to uh, think outside of this one rut. People that you could have conversations with about, about all kinds of things before. Suddenly, it's like there's this huge blind spot. And if you're one of the unvaccinated or one of the people that don't support vaccine mandates, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have talked to these people. Something changed. And uh, we've been wondering what's up with these people for, what, two years now? They'll say the (laughs) same thing. I mean, they'll repeat things from television like it's gospel. They'll talk about politicians as if they are saints, people that just before were some of the most critical people of the government. Um. People that, like, didn't trust the news. It's really bizarre. I, yeah, I really liked that point, Gumby, that you mentioned. And I also wrote down a few others. What about when Bjorn in the video was talking about smartphones and how from the moment people wake up, they're looking at this small, narrow image on their smartphone screen. And this is actually another way for us to be focused so that we can be more receptive to messages. Yeah, he said another way to focus the mind even more with all those other tools is to get you to fixate on a narrow point of focus. And we've all seen the Hollywood version of this. It's the guy holding up the watch, swinging back and forth. Yeah. Or when he says, look into my eyes. You know, and he's saying now we live in a world where we have glowing screens that direct our attention in exactly this way. And, uh, wow, I I don't know if I'm uh, jumping ahead in your list here, but that Mm. makes me think of those kids in the television. Oh, yeah, I did write that down. I'm so glad I did. Um, Boy, you know, as much shit as I talk about technology, I do love me some Internet research, though, because it just goes on and on and on forever and ever, and I can get lost in it. That's what I hate about it. Yeah. I mean, it it is a love-hate response, I guess. All right. So you want to hear something crazy? (laughs) Oh, shit. We're about to get into the crazy stuff now. in In 1970, so that's what, like 52 years ago? Yeah, now. Thomas Mulholland, who worked at the Veterans Hospital in some place, I think it was in Massachusetts or something, he was a doctor, he ran an experiment on 
young viewers watching television, children. And he connected their brains to an EEG. I think that's some sort of brain scanning, brain imaging machine. And told the viewers, the young kids, like, you have to stay alert. Like, don't just not be focused. You need to, like, make sure you stay alert. And after telling them that, only 30 seconds of watching TV, their brain activity slowed and produced alpha waves, which is neurologically analogous to staring at a blank wall. 30 seconds of TV. That's all it takes to put you into a state of um, receptiveness to messages. Didn't you say that and that they like even incentivized it, like hooked up something where if they reached the state of uh, consciousness that the TV would turn off, so they were instructed to try not to? Yeah, yeah, there was some sort of other, yeah, there was a like an incentive or, yeah, some yeah. sort of thing. They were challenged to not watch TV and not reach that state yeah. because the television would cut off. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, all these techniques, how they apply, like, those three things, the suggestion, the repetition, and the emotion. God, just turn on the TV and uh, don't pay attention to what you're watching. It doesn't matter the show. It doesn't matter commercial. It doesn't matter anything. Look for those three things. It's mind-blowing. All right. The second experiment that I looked up was from this guy named Herbert E. Uh-oh, I can't read my handwriting. Kane Kaufman something? He, Herbert something in 1969. He was employed at General Electric as some high muckety-muck guy. But he just liked to uh, do experiments on his secretary, so to speak. Um, he hooked up his... Clinton was just checking Monica's tonsils. <laughs> he hooked up his assistant's brain to a, uh, a monitor and had her uh, do things like watch TV or read a magazine. And the effect that it had on her brain from watching TV, it made her brain switch over from, and I didn't, I don't know if I wrote this in so much detail, um, I think it makes your brain switch over from the left hemisphere to the right when you start watching TV. And this crossover of the brain from like doing something like reading a magazine to watching TV, it crosses over to your different um, hemisphere of the brain and releases a surge of endorphins, the body's natural opiate substance. So watching TV is also, as we know, habit-forming, addictive. It's something that you're going to want to keep doing. Even if people tell you that it's bad for you, you can't stop. It's addictive. Well, you can stop. Well, you can stop. But then what do you maybe probably replace it with something? Yeah, I it's difficult. Guess. Because we listen to podcasts. We're still on social media and we're still, I mean, at least for me, I'm looking at news headlines all the time. So it's one screen to the other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're doing pretty good. I don't feel addicted to those things, but mm -hmm. I do recognize we're not free of them. So, you know, part of me wants to take responsibility for the part I'm not free of, and I think that's appropriate and good. And part of me also wants to kind of celebrate that I don't think I'm kind of, I don't know, but yeah. Um, one final thing to wrap up the Bjorn video. I think we've talked about what it What was enough. his last name again? Bull-Hansen. Bull Hansen. 
Dash Hansen? No, it's like... Oh, Bull... So, yeah, I, Bull... So, Bjorn Bull Hansen. Yeah. Man, I just wanted to say that again. And, by the way, his video came out in August, late August of 2021. So, that's months before anything Dr. Robert Malone said. Can you imagine just walking into a bar and somebody's like, Hey, here comes Bjorn the Bull! Yeah. I mean... Yeah, you're like cock swinging, like hitting, knocking over chairs and stuff. <laughs> you don't need a chair. You sit down on your balls. Your dick's wearing a Viking hat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe not. My little berserker. Oh, boy. I mean, my big berserker. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, um,. I, I really also liked this video, and I don't know any of the other videos by this guy. He might be a total douchebag. I don't know. I don't know him, but this particular video I really liked. And yeah. he was right around a nice crackling campfire in these really nice woods. And besides him being just really, um, really refreshing to listen to, listen to, I felt like this guy also, as Gumby alluded to, he was being fair because Bjorn, mm-hmm. his, you know. Oh, yeah. I feel like this isn't about him for me. It was yeah. about the information he had to share, which, like I said, I've already heard from enough different sources. And I'm like, oh, man, he's just like putting it very succinctly yeah. that I appreciated. But, yeah, I'm not looking to be a fan of this guy. I don't care to yeah. really learn more about him. I'm not looking to be a fan of anybody. But this information and whether know, whether good. or not whether or not he hypnotized me, I really liked his. Oh, I'm a fan of this guy if he hypnotized me. Yeah. That was some slick shit. Yeah. Um, I really like the solutions that he offered um, for what he called mass hypnosis. So he didn't call it mass formation psychosis because he said he's a hypnotherapist. So that's what he knows about. Um, And I had a friend kind of argue with me when I brought that up on Facebook and she said, she's a nurse. And she was like, I believe this is psychosis. mm. And uh, I got to say, when she made me stop and question myself, I was kind of just trying out that guy's line of thinking for a while. Like, maybe this is just hypnosis. But I got to say, what I still believe is I do believe that it is mass psychosis. Mm. I believe people are actually under delusions. Well, Bjorn says, get outside. And so do we. Go outside as much as you can. Get away from, he said, the mainstream media. But I'd say get away from it all. Just, like, be outside as much as you can. Um, Take walks in the woods, stay healthy, and focus on the positive aspects in your life. And he also said that some people will not snap out of this. And that's because they feel that this is a pleasant and safe place to be. So just keep that in mind when you may be dealing with someone that seems to have been um, in some sort of hypnosis. Yeah, and, uh, cultural hypnosis. Another observation I had before we uh, close out of the talking about hypnosis was when I started thinking about those three things: suggestion, repetition, and emotion. I started realizing like everything is a form of hypnosis. This has more to do with how our minds work, mm. which is why he was saying it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or not; it's happening, which is the important thing. It's how our minds work. Yeah. Um, I even thought of indigenous ceremonies, you know, like suggestion, uh, let's pray for luck for the hunt or deer or something like that. There's a symbol repetition. They go around a fire and often have a dance. They have something very repetitive, a, a beating drum. Boom, boom, and the songs. boom, the songs boom. are often the songs, repetitive. you know, I mean, you see a lot of repetition around the suggestion of the hunt and emotion, drums, stomping, things like that, you know, like 
It's really arousing, like they're, they're exerting themselves, they're sweating. So I feel like it's not hypnosis so much that's the bad thing. That's part of the human experience. But it's like, what are you being hypnotized for? If you're being hypnotized voluntarily in your tribe so that your tribe has more food, that's something that you're almost intentionally building up hypnosis because it builds up energy. It makes things work better and that you want to work good. That's a lot different than somebody exploiting you and using these hypnosis or an idea that just came from an extremely sick culture that has spread like wildfire. And, uh, you know, he said in the video something that I guess I'm trying to say right now is um, historically, when this happens, mass hypnosis, bad things happen. It mm. tends to lead to cruelty. It tends to lead to othering, dehumanizing. And we see all this happening now. Um, lynch mobs. These are mass hypnosis that aren't necessarily intentional. Um, an idea, a suggestion took hold. Maybe a black person is dangerous. They don't belong here. Something like that. That is a suggestion. It takes hold. Then the repetition, everybody's talking about it. Maybe they use the N-word, some kind of repetition. It, it keeps it going. And then, of course, the big thing, the emotional response. So, of course, Germany, Nazis, you know, mass hypnosis. Mass hypnosis is dangerous. It doesn't tend to bring out the best of people. Unless it's done very intentionally, like I was thinking about the indigenous culture. I think that may be brought out the best in people. And speaking of the best in people, oh, segue. Look out, it's a segue. Uh, you wanted me to write down the words sex change. Do you remember why you wanted me to write those words down? Oh, man, there's so many reasons. But I think that was on his to-do a... list. <laughs> A sex change? Yeah. <laughs> now, I think we can rule that one out, so that leaves everything else. Um, but, yeah, I want to close out this episode with this, like, um, if I can remember it, because, you know, I thought the, we had a lot to say about hypnosis, and I'm glad we talked about that. I think that with a busy day is around a good place to close. But let's see, sex change. Oh, I know what I was saying. Because mm -hmm. I liked this because this is also part of, I think, hypnosis. Yeah. So, you know, like if I say sex change to someone, that's become a term that's considered offensive. Um, what are we supposed to say? Gender affirmation? Yeah. So they that got gender the affirmation. One. Yeah. Not I sex change. Um, if somebody told me, like, I'm sorry, like, we don't use that term anymore and I find that offensive. It's occurring to me more and more how we hypnotize each other, thinking along these lines and um, that to fight the hypnosis, you have to stand up to it. You don't have to, like be crazy. You don't want to hypnotize yourself in a whole different extreme, but just don't allow it and say, I'm sorry you find that offensive. Um, I prefer the term sex change for its accuracy. That is so good. Well, maybe. I mean, I try so. it out. Let's yeah. see what happens. I but... mean, if you get punched in the face, then we'll know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I'm going to go back to using that term for that reason, because um, yeah, it is a sex change. It occurred to me the other day, just like, why is this villainized? It's exactly what it is. I'm not, I don't think this is gender affirmation. You didn't need to get your shit cut off to get your gender affirmed. What nonsense. That's fucking hypnosis. It's repeated, repeated, repeated. And look at me. I'm having an emotional response. Amen. So I'm a going back person. to sex change. I'm going to take control of my own uh, hypnotizing. And when I'm going to keep my own self-hypnosis as close to what I see as the truth as I can. Because I don't believe that's where they're taking me. So, a sex change. You are a certain sex when you're born, and you are changing your sex. 
if someone's offended by that, I was reading a book that was getting into this, uh, what's this, Generation I, I-Gen? I-Gen, yeah, oh, because I-Gen, yeah. This, this generation is, uh, of course, on screens and everything all the time. Not their fault, by the way. Sometimes I get caught up in hating on iGen, and I have to remind myself, like, man, look at what the fuck they're born into. We'd be iGen if we were born now. Yeah. Um, so we're barely not. Yeah, but one of the things this generation is getting taught that makes them extremely fragile is the important thing is if you are offended, not if the person meant offense. If you are offended, that thing is offensive, and it, it is the enemy. It needs to be cast out. The implications of this are really diabolical and dirty because who's to say who's offended by what? Let's say, you know, here's something that was considered a a microaggression. If you ask a black person where they're from, let's say there's some guy that's, they are absolutely not racist. Not, I mean, they grew up around black people. Hell, a, a white guy in a mixed marriage, you know, and he just is making conversation and he says, so where are you from? You know, just kind of like, I thought I heard an accent. Like, are you from this place in New York I think you're from? Where are you from? <laughs> now, what if this black person considers that a microaggression? They're offended. Did that guy just say something offensive? How you answer that is where you fall on this. I say he didn't. I say the thing we need to work on the most is our own, what we're offended by, how we react to things. We are never going to change the world and make it behave. And I mean... The horrors that happen when we try, the world is not meant to be subdued like that. It's how we react to it. That's what makes us wise. That's what makes us human. Um, So, God, what was I talking about originally? Sex changes. Sex changes. So, yeah, I'm going to go back to using that word because I think it is a dose of reality. It is an appropriate word and a very appropriate word, whereas the one I'm being taught is the appropriate word is not, and I know it. Um, And... I'm sorry, I'm just not being offensive. I mean no offense. I mean accuracy. And if someone's offended, the quicker we get these people to realize what they think, that they get to define offensive by what offends them, the quicker that we educate them and do the job that we should have been doing all along and and putting it back on people. This isn't to say to glorify the bully. This is to say if somebody's bullying you, what can you do about it? How can you empower yourself? If it's out of control, we help you. That kind of thing. But we turned it into all about let's destroy the bully. But who is whose bully? Yeah, the the bullied became the bully. I mean, I get called a troll on Facebook all the time. And I really like I'll even call myself a troll joking. But actually, I don't think I'm a troll. I disagree with people. It used to just be called disagreeing. Now it's called this cartoon villainish term, troll. You're trolling people. (laughs) I'm just going to ruin your day. I mean, it's stupid. It's just that you said something that I felt like um, needed further discussion. So, yeah, that used to be called conversation. (laughs) Now all we can do is say stupid shit and wait for cheerleaders to back us up and get our little feelings hurt if somebody does it. Fuck that. Indeed. You got anything else to say on that? No, I really just, I really liked that. I paid a therapist one time to help me come up with phrases or lines that I could use in my fragile state of depression at the time to handle people because I had no boundaries. And I think what you just said as the response, I can't remember even exactly how you said it. It's like, well, I'm sorry you're offended, but that's, I, I disagree. I don't see it that way. Or you said something like that. That's gold. That's absolute gold. You're setting a boundary, and boundaries are healthy. 
Yeah, exactly. I hadn't thought about it in terms of setting boundaries, but that's exactly what I want to start doing. Yeah. I want to set boundaries for what I deem sane. And if my sanity offends you, that is your problem. I mean no offense. And if I do sometimes like mean offense, that's for me to like examine and like, why did I say that? You know, I mean, there's just more of a human experience in this, this bullshit that we're getting caught in. Well, I thought I had something to say, but I forgot. I think that's a good place. Yeah, it's going to have to be. <laughs> so for our listener write-in, we've got Tim from Maine. Tim! Tim! Wild blueberry pie. And he wrote in response to, ooh, wild blueberry pie. Yeah. Oh, Tim Tim mentioned uh, sending us some blueberries a long Tim time ago. Tim sent us some blueberries. Yeah. So, Tim, if you're listening, we might have an address for those blueberries. <laughs> um, but he wrote in response to Escape from the Planet of the Humans. <clears throat> oh boy, not the main accent. I gotta read Tim's okay. right in with a main accent. Almost 30 years ago, we got into a small solar system. Not because it was green, but a source of power to run some things in the house. Things grew, and more was added. Better techno- battery technology is 100 years old, and very little has changed. Still lead acid, but they are working on batteries for sure, which have no impact on the environment. Oh, right, but it's green. I was just about to get into some micro-hydro on a small drainage by the house when along came the electric power grid. We hooked up. We'd spent 20 years with alternative power. Let me be clear, it was by no means off-grid. We were very tied to the grid. Just the manufacture of the equipment that comprised the system's grid-tied, let alone the pile of cheap generators we burned through to make up for the difference the solar system couldn't keep up with. Mm. It's a tricky struggle to balance it all. I started watching the documentary when it came out, but have yet to finish it. I will. There are huge plans to bring wind power into the remote parts where I live. It is not going well for the opposition. It's coming and there isn't much to be done about it. The basis for these towers are something like 40 square feet. Yes, deep as well. Huge. The plan for when they close the system down is to bury the footings with a few inches of dirt. You should win some sort of prize for doing that long of a comment in that good of a main accent. I felt like I kind of slipped into the Bronx in the middle. Did you Did you catch it? It was okay. Yeah. It worked. because I fought through it. It's like some coffees that are like just a single origin source aren't as good as like the mixed origin coffees. So it was like that with your accent. Oh, Teresa, this is North Carolina. No mixing. <laughs> I'm offended. No, mixing here in North Carolina. Why am I saying that in a main accent? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. We do a lot of mixing here in North Carolina. No, we do nothing. We're mixing it we up right nothing. now. We do nothing but mixing. <laughs> we are the mix masters. Um, let's see. Yeah, I really like what Tim wrote about. It's cool how much he tried with the uh, alternate energy, but, you know, small surprise that green energy is a, a big farce that does not free us and... We did an episode, Escape from the Planet of the Humans, which was about the documentary Planet of the Humans, which I still really recommend as a good documentary. Yeah, we just think less of Jeff Gibbs. Oh, Jeff Gibbs is a fucking goober. <laughs> like, man. He, he like, he peaked with that documentary. Awesome documentary. Go watch it. But uh, he hasn't said a smart thing since. And, uh, which is fine if you shut up, but he won't shut up. He's just, like, spewing out stupid shit all the time. Oh, no. Lefty stuff. Uh, he, you know, I was talking about these brainwashed people about COVID and stuff. Jeff Smith. Jeff Gibbs. Jeff Gibbs. <laughs> but probably Jeff Smith, too, yeah. fucker. <laughs> Any Jeff out there. And their whole family, too. 
Um, and yeah, so, and another book I'd recommend in, in lieu of that, I haven't even read it. I've just, you know, knowing the authors, I bet it's got good stuff is, uh, Bright Green Lies. Again, people that I am not fans of, I think they're, uh, kind of hypocritical. I've just, you know, I debate with these people a lot and they won't answer questions, which I don't respect. And I always get suspicious of someone who will not, uh, answer a challenge. So why wouldn't you, if I give you a platform to better explore what you say you believe or your comment, um, it seems like an honest man would take that platform. He apparently wanted to step up long enough to say something. So for further elucidation, people that just run from that, as the deep green resistance crowd seems to be, um, I don't respect much. I'm suspicious of them. I'm just going to say it. So breaking green lies, though, again, them separate from their book, I think this probably is an awesome source of information for facts about why green energy is bullshit, which I totally agree with that crowd on. Yeah. And we're not being paid by any sort of gas petroleum industry. No. No. They're not financing our van life. <laughs> yeah. We're financing theirs. <laughs> and it's interesting. We got a piece of information last summer that we didn't have before that kind of put another layer of uh, reality on why green energy doesn't work. Because... Our electricity, well, here's what we already knew, that everything is petroleum-based. You can't build the components. There's nothing even close to building the components needed for wind, solar, any green energy producer that's not equally petroleum-based. So people look at the solar panels and they forget, like, how do you make a solar panel? Right. That's an important question. They call it cradle-to-grave cost. The grave, how do you dispose of a solar panel? So, you know, it still keeps us embedded in a very destructive way of life. Um, what we didn't know is that a lot of these fundamental components that are needed to make factories, to make some of the uh, chemicals that so many things that we use need, need a certain temperature that can only be reached by petroleum. And you can't ship it. In other words, you can't run an electric cord and ship heat. There's no way to ship heat. Wherever the source of the heat is that you make this like really intense heat, um, you have to bring things to it. You can't just like wire it to someplace else or pipe it to someplace else. So that alone is a huge hurdle to things being made um, independent of gas. When the mm -hmm. gas runs out, that's another major reason why they can't make the materials. Yeah. They can't even reach the heats necessary to make some of the materials we've become reliant on. And didn't you run across some kind of article yeah, about like there might be? They're exploring an alternative to that? Well, there was a Chinese um, lab that they were um, fusioning two different elements together. I'm not sure because I, I didn't write it down. But I think I talked about it last episode. Um, but what I can't seem to find is how the fusion happens... And how do they get everything together for these elements to be fused? Yeah, my two thoughts are, I got a feeling if you start scratching the surface, just like green energy, you find a whole bunch of things that they need that are still yeah. utterly gas reliant to right. do this. And my other thought is if I'm wrong <laughs> and they actually are moving into something that's not gas reliant, that's more terrifying than running out of gas. I'm more terrified yeah. of this civilization continuing because it's not the fuel yeah. 
The fuel is just one of the side effects of the destructiveness of our culture. It's our whole view. It's our whole way of life. It's our whole self-hypnosis, that self-hypnosis that we call culture. Transhumanism. Yeah. I mean, until that changes, the worst thing that can happen, I believe, to both us and the planet is for this civilization to become more sustainable and continue. Um, I believe it just needs to stop. We need to change the whole way we live. And with right? that, yes, I agree. Yeah. So there's your job for the week. Uh, please write in and let us know how it's going. And you hit the subscribe that. button. Uh, I never, I always forget to say that. But uh, yeah, subscribe to us. And so that'll be easier to um, get our podcast out to more people. And podcast finds you. So if you're, you won't miss a podcast. You won't miss a lovely minute of these gold nuggets that we're sharing. Mm. So Mine are more like chicken. okay and we have a facebook page perhaps we're not sure but if we do have one it's found at escaping society and uh yeah uh got a youtube channel that we've been meaning to contribute to found at my name gumby montgomery on youtube uh you can also get there through our website yes and we have a website www.escapingsociety.weebly B as in Bjorn Bull Hansen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dot com. Um, and please give us a review. We uh, really appreciate those reviews. Give us some stars, yo. And, you know, write in uh, questions, comments, uh, dirty jokes. Man, we did an episode like many seasons back, and I told people to write in a joke. Not one of you rap bastards has a joke you ha- that you didn't hear on that podcast. My God, people, get out of the house a little bit, talk to some people, maybe get drunk with them or something. Get COVID. There are jokes out there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, risk some COVID. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Omicron is definitely worth the risk of a new joke. Yeah. Definitely. Totally. Yeah, even, for, a, even for an old fat woman. Less severe. Yeah, totally. Less severe than the original. All right, we out. So why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no 